So as we begin this new year, let's also begin at the beginning, as it were, by turning to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now, for those of you that have a physical Bible, this is probably the easiest reference that you'll have to look up. Genesis 1, it's the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. Now, Moses wrote Genesis. And sometimes you might be wondering, how did he know what happened so many years before? Let me illustrate that a little bit by giving credit to, there's a book that I read. I guess you could say I read it, I listened to it, it was an audio book, by Dennis Kinlaw. Now, Dennis Kinlaw is someone that I've heard preach before. I don't know that I preached to Dennis directly. He's a past president of Asbury College. But I know the person that wrote the foreword for, to this book. And this book, like I said, this book, I, didn't, I don't think I told you the title. It's Holy Happiness. It's a study of Genesis chapters 1 to 3. The foreword is by Ron Smith. Ron Smith, the president as as the Francis Abersbury Society. You're like, I don't know all these people. Well, I happen to know, I've listened to Dennis Kinlaw speak, and I've also listened to Dr. Ron Smith speak, and Dr. Ron Smith, I've spoken to, I've even spoken to Dr. Ron Smith, and, and a couple of my sons have spoken to Ron Smith, and they might know him better than I do. They've heard him speak as well, and so so if you think about it, it's like, okay, I'm listening to this book from somebody I've heard speak before. It gives a little bit of credibility. And I happen to know someone that I believe Dr. Kinlaw was Dr. Ron Smith's mentor. And Dr. Ron Smith is now the president of Ohio Christian University, which is our university. And I know him, and some known him, and I've talked to him. So I use some of that for the background, but it's also to illustrate the point of how do... How did Moses know what happened so long ago and how maybe accurate could it be? Do you, have you ever heard of someone by the name of Methuselah? Methuselah. Now, we covered this in Sunday school, so if you were in a Sunday school class, you have to say yes. Um, Methuselah, the oldest person who lived in the Bible, lived 969 years. Now, I don't know necessarily, and can't expl- I could give you some ideas on why they lived so long then, but we're not going to go into that now because it's an age-old question I think a lot of people have had, but Methuselah, 969 years, that's a long time. Did you know that Methuselah was alive when Adam was alive? And Methuselah was also alive when Noah was alive. Isn't that interesting? So Methuselah could have known, and, and because they're of the same lineage, right? Lineage meaning, I have a, my grandfather had my father who had me and my sons. That's a lineage. They're in the same lineage, so you would think that they would probably know each other or probably talk to someone, and it would make a whole lot of sense that 
Methuselah would have talked to Adam and likely Noah as well. I don't know if they had reunions or what. I mean, can you imagine going to a reunion? You, get, you have to wear the shirt, you know, you get a reunion. It's the, it's the 20th year of, of our family reunion. Remember how many shirts you'd have to have if you have to have one for every, I mean, you'd have like 800 t-shirts. I mean, it would be a really... But Methuselah spanned from Adam to Noah, and Shem lived like 600 years. And who's Shem? Shem, Ham, and Japheth were on the ark with Noah. So you have Methuselah covers the span from Adam to Noah, and Shem covers the span from Noah to Abraham. And then Isaac covers the span from Abraham to Joseph, and there's a gentleman by the name of Amram that was a contemporary of Joseph's, and that might be how the information got through to Moses. And wouldn't you think, if you had a story like that to tell, that you would pass it down from generation to generation? And as it gets passed down to generation to generation, yeah, but things could get mixed up. But you've got to think about it. The oversight of the transmission, you're just like, can you imagine two brothers telling a story, and one tells a story, and the other one says, that's not right. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. That's not right. All right. I bet you it's right. Let's go ask Methuselah. Methuselah would say, all right, no, that's not right. This is the way it is. But you see, Methuselah could manage the transmission of the story. They had an authority right there that heard it from Adam and passed it through. And so you got Methuselah, if I take Methuselah, the Shem, to Isaac, to Amran, to Moses, that's a possibility of how Moses actually knew the things that took place. So let's read the scripture. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. Now this is not going to be so much a study in the creation story as a study in the theology of the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the day. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now some of these things we can easily read over. Some of you probably have the scripture fairly memorized. In the beginning God created. But when we think about this a little bit deeper, the concept of God created it from nothing. We've shared with you in classes and in previous sessions together. That's the term is ex nihilo, out of nothing. So God created it out of nothing. So God is outside of nature. 
Not limited nature, not of nature. Not of the created. Now I want to remind you that we get a little bit confused today when people talk about God. I was reading in, in uh, one passage and they would return to God, the term we used as an Anglo-Saxon term that's been attributed to God. But in the Hebrew here, the word would be Elohim. And you probably have run, remembered or you have heard in, in time where we talk about Jehovah or we talk about Yahweh. or And these are references to God with more specific words. So when someone says, in God we trust, some take that as the God that we believe in. But some will kind of run it through a back door and say, well, in God, in God we trust and whatever God might be God to you. You ever been together with someone say, all right, let's have a time of prayer, and you pray to whatever God is your God. But they're not the same God, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So when we reference here God, we're referencing the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It says, but see, He's outside of nature, not of nature. Superior to it, not subservient to it. So as you think about historical times and people have raised up false gods and some have crafted them out of clay or out of a piece of wood, why would you take something that is part of the nature to help you in controlling nature? Some would sacrifice or do unseemly things in order to please these gods that they had set up and they had a piece of wood or a piece of stone or a piece of block that they worshipped to make sure they had good crops and that they had rain or whatever it might be. But they form gods out of nature. God is outside of nature. God is also outside of time. It says, in the beginning, God created. So, God created in the beginning. And you see there, and established, as we read that passage of verse, what did he establish? The day which is a way that we pick up the passing of time. And you will see that as you continue to read in some of the creation story, as we talk about the moon and the sun, and we talk about the passing of the day. But God is superior. He is outside of it. We don't need to ask a rock to solve our problems. A rock that looks like something. But also we find that in the beginning it says God created the heavens and the earth. And when it says God, it's using the word Elohim. And that is in the plural. That is in the plural. So hold on to that for a minute. 
because we also look over in the relational sense to Genesis 1.26, just the first part of it. And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. So we have Elohim as plural in Genesis 1.1, and here in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us, Make man in our own image. Now we'll get to some of these other sections in subsequent messages. But today it's the concept that it's us. And it's plural. So God is relational by nature. Relationship is part of the Godhead. And when I say Godhead, I think it's the, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. So the relationships, they had a relationship, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, at that point. And if we look at Genesis 1-2, the latter part of Genesis 1-2, it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God. Then if we look at John 1, 1-3, We'll turn there quickly, but they, it'll be up on the screen as well. So in John 1, New Testament, 1 to 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When it says the Word, it's referring to Jesus. And if you read down farther, farther in that passage, it would pull that out. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Jesus, God the Son, was at creation. The Spirit of God, not a Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, hovered, and so we have the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, together. Now that is significant. That is significant to understand that in the nature of the Godhead is the unity of the Godhead. Jesus talks about it. But that relationship is at its core. This is unlike the God of the Quran. Because the God of Quran, which we don't believe in, is isolated by himself. Not relational by nature. And if you read or listen to people that were of the Muslim faith before, that were Muslims before, of the Islam faith before, they might call that out. The God of the Bible is relational. 
Let us. They were working together in the creation of mankind. And it's told to us at the beginning. And so he desires, the Godhead, desires us to be relational. It's in his very nature. And he created us in his image. It's very difficult to understand this Trinity thing, but it's so unified that we just refer in the plural to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as God. But we find in Scripture, it talks about the Holy Spirit that He, He, a distinct entity, it talks about Jesus, God's Son, and God the Son, Jesus, talks about God the Father, and he talks about, you need me to go before the Holy Spirit can come, that he might. So this is important. This is foundational of our understanding. And it's laid out early that they're relational. And when he creates man in his own image, and when I say man, mankind in his own image, male and female created he them, it's the male and female together that is in the image of God. And again, that'll be for another message, but it wasn't, it's not two. They're different. But their combined differences reflect the Godhead. And in the Godhead, they each had different roles, but they were yet together. Just like in the marriage, there are different roles, but yet they're together. This is significant. It lays the foundation. God is not someone out there waiting. God wants a relationship with us, and that relationship with us he desires. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. Relational to God and relational out to others. God is relational by his nature, unlike the Quran's God, who is not. And even in Judaism, they struggle with this concept. They might see, as I was doing some reading, and it makes some sense there, the Holy Spirit's a force. Be careful when you watch Star Wars or something like that. That force, that it's the force, Luke. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. That has power. But see... Can you see then, if you look at Judaism, if you, if you do not understand that God is triune, it makes it difficult to accept Jesus as the Son of God as a Jew. And so they reject Jesus. Maybe they would have seen him, as, they didn't understand him as the Messiah because they didn't equate him also as the Son of God. And you can start 
thinking as you look forward to the Easter celebration is they're rejecting Jesus as the Son of God. But he had to be the Son of God or the sacrifice wouldn't made any sense. And so when someone says, you are just, aren't we all just worshiping the same God? Well, we don't worship Buddha and there's not multiple ways to heaven. We've talked about that. But sometimes it's a little confusing because someone comes in and says, They're a Muslim. Don't we worship the same God? Well, the characteristics are completely different because the God of the Quran is not relational. It's more of a distant concept. And if you talk to them, you might hear them say those kinds of things. But you might say, well, the God of Quran, well, it's the same God of Judaism. That might be an easier leap because if you Judaism and you don't believe in triune Godhead, you've got a problem because you're believing in a God that's not relational. But if we're using the scripture together, the same scripture that the Jews are using, at least in the Old Testament, you might try to make that leap. But we don't worship the same God of the Quran. Because that God's not relational. That's when we say the characteristics of the God that we serve is different than the God of Quran. That's one of the major parts of it. It's the triune Godhead. The relational nature. It's in his nature to be relational. And so he wants us to love him and have that relationship with us. And he wants those created in his image to have relations with each other, develop relations with him as the Godhead and relations with each other. Can you see how that all weaves together and how that's very important? It's about relationships. It's about relationships. And so when we are asked... by God in Scripture to be in relationships with Him and relationships with others, He understands that. He understands what unity means. He wants it for us. He understands what unity and working it out and having those roles and still being one, being different but also in unified means. And it's the same with marriages and the relationship that Jesus has with his church, which is the bride of Christ. It's that relational terms that he talks about himself. And in relational terms, he talks about our relation with him and talks about in marriage terms and the relations that he wants us to have with others. And we hear in Scripture that we're not to fail the assembling of ourselves together of the manner of some is, even as we see the day of the Lord appearing. And it's a rough paraphrase. It's that relationship. The relationship is that foundation. The relationship is foundational to the nature of God. And so as we start this first Sunday of the year, we start with the foundational parts. I think it was Vince Lombardi that when they 
would meet with the Green Bay Packers. Maybe it was the first practice of the year. I don't know the whole story. But he would start out and stand up in front of them and say, okay, football team. If you didn't know the Green Bay Packers was a football team. All right, this is a football. Let's start out this year with our God is relational by nature. It's not a dictate that he doesn't understand. It's not outside of him. It's at his very core. Our God is relational. So what are you doing about your relationship with Jesus? How does what we talked about in this message affect our relationships with other people? How does what we've talked about in that a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, are together in the image of God, even though they are different in themselves. They're not the same, or why did we need to have a man and a woman? It's beyond just the biological. Men and women are different beyond the biological. But together, they're in the image of God. Something about the woman's part of the image of God that maybe the God, the guy's not, but part of the guy that's part of the image of God maybe is not part of the woman. But see, together we have this completeness. And part of that completeness might be in the relationship. Pondering those things as you start this new year, our God is relational. Let's be standing together. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we lay some foundational truths based on your scripture of how you are relational by your nature and that we want to have the mind of Christ and follow in that relationship that you have and we might have with you and with others. May we understand the unique differences of what that means as we look at the other religions of the world that we come in contact with. As we think about the concepts of husband and wife, as the waters are muddied between why are they male and female and aren't they the same or are they different? Or Lord, it's confusing and even the paganness of worshiping nature more and more is coming into place and we have to get back to the realization that you're outside of nature, outside of time. You are supernatural. And that we have to fight against the paganism. We have to fight against this, these false gods. And as in the Old Testament, they had to knock down the the high places where they were worshiping Baal and other things. That, that's the kind of culture that we're in. We need to know our foundation. Help us to be strong in the faith. And our standing of you that might be unwavering as we take on the blows of the devil through society and social media. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.